Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You are listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. I want to read you some lyrics. I wish I could sing for you, but I can't. So I want to read these lyrics to you. (laughs) So many problems in this world that we're living in. So many people feel like giving in. Time for more justice, more equal rights, more peace and love, more truth and light. A time to rise to a higher height, closer to light and life. You see, true love is truly contagious, gentle, kind, meek, mild, and courageous. To spread love is so advantageous. Tag, you're it. Now spread the virus of love. I've been singing this song all day in my head. The writer and performers of these lyrics are truly an embodiment of that love. And these times call for greater love. Racism and racial injustice can no longer be ignored. It's time to heal the wounds and trauma of our racial divide. If these times call for greater love, how then do we turn that love into real, practical, tangible, and effective healing strategies for humanity? Real steps. We're going to tackle the question of love here during these times, and this hour will be a treat with our special guests discussing healing the racial divide. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guests. Pato Bonton and his wife, Antoinette Roots Data, are super... I'm getting ahead of myself, a super, this is how I describe them. This is not their bio. This is what I wrote. They are a super couple. They're a super couple and ambassadors for love. Both are world-renowned, Grammy-nominated reggae musicians, ordained ministers, teachers, and highly honored with myriad awards. I encourage you to read their full bio on the show page and go to their website. I'll share that with you later. I see them both as living expressions of love, so much more than ragged musicians and teachers. They are the embodiment of love. Welcome, Pato and Antoinette. Thank you so much. It's really thank you. to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. And I know that the words that our listeners hear over the next hours will will be proof and have this beautiful love that emanates from you. I've seen you in person several times. I, I, I'm on calls with you online, and I, I'm always just in awe of the light and love that, that shines through both of you. So thank you. And I'm going to start with our traditional first question. Um, because we like to put this conversation in the larger context of a whole worldview. And so I'm, I'm just curious, and Antoinette, I'm going to start with you. What does the phrase, all things connected, mean to you? Hmm. Very good question. Um, I don't know why I keep hearing something from like PBS. 
<laughs> maybe it's from when I was growing up or something. Yep. Is that, what, what was the show? Was it called All Things Considered? All Things Considered, yes. Yep. Okay, yeah. So when I hear All Things Connected, it kind of reminds me of that show because it was just showing the connection of everything, how everything relates to each other, to one another, you know, within our own lives, within other people's lives, and, and how it all relates and connects to every person on the planet. Mm. Pato, do you want to add anything? Um, when I when you asked the question, the first thing I thought about was God. You know, mm-hmm. um, was it, was the first source of all creation. And um, I read something recently that said that for the people that cannot recognize God within their mind's eye or feel God within their heart, the greatest thing that they have is the physical perception of God, which is the universe. And when I think of God as being this first source of all things, you know, of, of the universe, of life, of personalities, um, when I think about our connection to the planet, you know, on a biological level, our connection to the water, our connection to the land, to the animals, which is definitely a biological connection, and our connection to each other. You know, um, Christians would say that Adam and Eve were the first human beings on the earth. And coming from that perspective, then all human beings must be racially connected. Darwin's theory would be that there was a big bang and that life started to evolve which means that from an evolutionist perspective, we're all connected through the theory of evolution from the first, you know, um, single cell organism to intelligent life as we have it today, or so-called intelligent life as we have it today. But from no matter what perspective or what angle you come from, there is a root. And from that root, we are all connected, definitely. Mm, I really appreciate you putting both of those perspectives of, of evolution and, and Christianity together and looking at that from that single source, that root. That's, that is really powerful. Thank you for that, Pato. You know, I, I, there's so much to say and how to dig in, but I, I really want to just honor both of you. And I'd love to hear a little about your story and how did each of you choose to create your life around a message of love and unity? How did, how did you get here? Antoinette? Um, yeah. I'll let Pato go first this time. <laughs> okay, Pato. Okay. Well, basically, um, my early beginnings were um, as a part of my stepfather's sound system. Um, Well, even before that, I live in a very dysfunctional home. And um, my earliest memories are memories of my mother being violently attacked by my stepfather. And one day she decided that she couldn't take anymore, so she ran away and left four children in in the apartment. And... um, when my stepdad got home and saw that she had packed her bags and left, he set the house on fire. 
and locked me and my brothers, three younger brothers, in a room and tried to burn us to death. So I managed, thank God, to open the window and get out. And our family was split up after that. And then eventually my mother brought all of her children back together with her new boyfriend, who was a much nicer guy, much more loving guy. Um, he still needed some education in how to be a good father. But our home that I moved to at the age of eight was the local community party house um, for illegal parties, Caribbean parties. And I was a security guard at the age of eight. So I was opening and closing the door for about six years, keeping an eye out to make sure that the police weren't coming. And if they were coming, I, I was told to lock the door and call an adult who would take it from there. <laughs> mm. And I was being educated by the conversations I heard standing by the door all night listening to those um, late night people and also by the music that was being played. And by the time I was about 15, the music changed from just fun lyrics, sometimes sexual lyrics, um, and it changed to becoming very cultural. And um, what was happening was that in Jamaica, the music was change into reggae music and these singers were singing about God and singing about one love and singing about African roots and identity and my whole perspective of life changed based on this music called reggae music and at that same time Bob Marley was evolving having been an artist that was singing the fun lyrics previously and sexual lyrics previously in musics called Blue Beat and Scar and Rocksteady. And Bob Marley evolved to become the leading reggae artist um, and the biggest name around the world for being a pioneer of reggae music and his faith in Rastafari. And so my desire to understand who I was racially came from reggae music. And also my desire to learn about God, to learn about my relationship with God and my relationship with all other people came from reggae music. And we have a saying in reggae music, one God, one aim, one destiny, one love, one people. And so that has stayed with me um, even though I have evolved beyond the confines of reggae music, the roots of the message of reggae music has never left me. Beautiful. Thank you. How about you, Antoinette? Well, um, I grew up differently than him. This was very interesting because when I first met him, he was always searching and looking for God where I was probably running away from the churches. I hmm. had, um, I was brought up, my parents both wanted uh, um, their kids to know who God was, but they didn't want to tell us what we should believe, you know? So we were exposed to a lot of different religions, <laughs> the Buddhist temple, the Catholic church, the Methodist, Episcopalian, Baptist, Pentecostal, 
you, you know, you name it, as a child growing up, we were, it was like the Disneyland of churches. So we were exposed to everything. And, 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 and Antoinette was brought up in a military family, so she was traveling all the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was exposed to a lot of it. But everything that they were all saying, it's like I liked a little bit that they were saying, but then I didn't like the, the exclusiveness and the non-inclusiveness of other people and other people's faith and religion. So I decided it's like, I didn't want to have anything to do with church, but I still want to keep a relationship with God. And I was pretty much content and happy with that. Um, once I got into reggae music, it got, it started to open up for me a lot more because I started to see where spirituality also turned into like social and political justice and um, ideology and philosophy and different things. And I, I said, this is the music that's actually for me. So when I met Pato, and I met him many, many years ago, but I just kept running into him like, you know, a decade here and a decade later and somewhere else until I finally started working with him. And at that point, when I started working with him, he was the one who introduced me to the Urantia book that kind of brought me back into more spirituality. And then it changed, it turned my life upside down and turned it all the way around. And then that's when I really got involved in music and ministry as well, too, because I said, this is, this is something that's a lot more acceptable and it's something I can kind of get down with and, and realize the importance. And then also with my mission on this planet, my mission here on earth, my mission as a person, as a human being, and my mission to everybody else that's on the planet as well, too. And it was through, you know, through him introducing the Urantia book to me that kind of changed my mind. Beautiful. Well, we'll talk about the Urantia book in a, a bit. And first, I just want to presence this this topic of, of racial relations and racial injustice. And I invited you both to be on my show after I watched you handle a very startling racist Zoom bombing situation last week. And you responded with pure love, Pato. It was incredible to watch you respond in real time. And then mm-hmm. you shared your response the, the week later of, of what happened in that. And, and it, was, it really touched me. It was like um, your ability to stay in this pure love obviously is this power, this alchemical power to transmute what's happening. And, and I see this as a, an important part of our medicine on the planet. Can you just share what happened on Zoom that day and how you handled it and what the response was? <laughs> uh, we, we, were, um, we were doing a, um, a um, presentation for the Good of the Whole network. What, what's the network called again? Um, yeah, On the Connection. Four mm-hmm. Connection, yeah. And um, we, we were coming close to the end of a two-hour presentation, <clears throat> and all of a sudden this big voice came through, um, interrupted the whole meeting. Um, he had a lot of reverb and delay on his voice, and um, this guy just started being rude to us. and said that one of the members looked like a sex of, registered sex offender. Then he said he was from the KKK and talking about being violent and hitting us with sticks. Then he called us niggers. 
and just continue to, you know, we to interrupt the conversation that we still try to maintain even with him being in there. And then he did a rap, which was like a KKK rap. And I said to him, you know, you got a good flow going on. You know, you could use your talent much in a much better way. You know, you're wasting your talent on this race hate. So anyway, um, <clears throat> we the meeting was disrupted and I did my best not to allow him to agitate me in any way or to give him what he wanted, which was a negative response. And I told him he, that he was welcome to our meetings anytime he wanted to be a constructive contributor to our conversations, um, which he of course declined. And then um, um, our host um, was trying, is it Shelley Darling? Yes. Was trying to block him from speaking, but he had the power to override her. I'm not sure how they do that, but, you know, they've got these techniques. So she couldn't stop him from talking, but eventually he said everything he wanted to say and left. And we closed the meeting on that note. Um, So that's what happened during that day. Um, It wasn't until a week later that Antoinette pointed out that there was a post from Zoom bombers who now have a Facebook page where they proudly display um, the Zoom bombings um, that they have interrupted. And there was my one. And he stated, um, this is the Zoom bombing of reggae legend Pat O'Banton. He seems like a really nice guy. (laughs) 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 So when Antoinette said that, you know, my first response was to report it, you know. That was the first thing I felt like doing was to report it and call the Facebook police. And then something says to me, no, engage him in a conversation first and see if he's willing to hear you and respond to you. So, you know, I said to him, you know, um, it's one thing to, to bomb people when they're trying to have a constructive discussion or do a presentation, but it's another thing to racially target people and, and abuse them. And I said, that wasn't, that wasn't cool. And he responded and, and said he wasn't responsible for the racial slurs. He was only recording it. And he doesn't condone the behavior of the guy that said what he said and that he was, he apologized, said, I'm deeply apologetic, you know, if it hurt anyone's feelings. And I said to him, yes, it did hurt people's feelings, you know, because some of us are sensitive to racial attacks, um, you know, and I really think that you guys could be using your talents in a much better way. So for me, that was a victory, you know, and I really think that his, uh, his conscience has been touched. And hopefully that improves, even if they carry on bombing, hopefully that will improve the way they bomb people or even better that he'll stop bombing people and use his talents to do something constructive for humanity.
Mm. Well, your response was inspiring. And uh, Patel, are you normally just that calm and easy going like that when when that startling <laughs> stimuli is coming at you? Do you normally stay that calm and cool? I'll let Antoinette answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> I want to say yes, because um, um, a lot of people have asked me for the last uh, 11 years that I've been touring with him, you know, what's Pato like when he's not on stage? And I was like, if you, the way you see him smiling and cheesing and, and friendly on stage is exactly how he is off stage. And the Zoom bombing was really nothing. There's nothing compared to the racism we face on the road while touring and while traveling. And you know when the, um, what's it called? Uh, you know that Cooper story that just happened the other day? It's the Coopers, you know, the one woman named Cooper and then the guy that she called the police on. The black guy uh, called the police on mm. his name was Cooper as well. <laughs> mm. And that was like a weird irony, you know, with the connection that they actually had the same name. Mm-hmm. But the same thing happened to Pato as well. A, a white woman who was um, a, a security officer in a hotel accused, you know, got on her, her little radio, her little CD or something like that and called for backup saying that this black man was attacking and harassing her. Now, you yeah, know, we're that, talking I, about I Pato. tried to hit her. Oh, yes, wow. exactly. She, she, and she said totally, it, she said it over a walkie talkie seven times. He's trying to hit me. He's trying to hit me. So these guys mm-hmm. came running with guns, with their guns pulled. And wow. um, that was a crazy incident because we were in Vegas and, um, and it's funny that we're in Vegas because this is the one place that, that if there's going to be any trouble, it's not going to be from Pato. <laughs> he doesn't drink. He doesn't gamble. He doesn't do any profanity. He's not, you know, he's, that, that Sin City is not his place to, to hang out and have fun. You know, um, this kind of like our stopping point when we're on tour. We have to hit that city on the way into Los Angeles or on the way out. And so we were coming back and we were staying there that night. So his only thing that he wants to do is just have a bubble bath and just be in for the night. But anyway, there was an incident with the, with the, the security uh, officer harassing and racially profiling him in a hotel. And it's crazy. Of all the people there in the hotel, she decided to single and, and pick him out. And then when I heard about it later, I was like, well, this isn't right at all. You know, this is, it's, it's totally not right, you know, and, and you should find out who this person who harassed you and profiled you because it's not like we haven't seen that before. It happens to us all the time. But when you did go to try to confront her, that's when she had um, accused him of trying to uh, assault her and had attacked her or had put his, his hands on her, which none of it was true. And um, they came and um, kicked us out of the hotel, made us pay for the hotel and kicked us out of the hotel. At the time, when all of our friends and family had heard about it, they said, you should be suing, you know, because we had a very, very strong case because these kinds of cases happen all across the country and everything. The Pops was the kind of person is like, no. I mean, because he didn't, he didn't want the antagoniz- antagonization that was happening because we saw a lot of people. They wanted to know who this officer was. And just like, you know, the Facebook warriors are, they will jump all over the place and find out who this person is because they want to protect the person they care about 
but he didn't want any type of retaliation like that. He didn't even want to go to court. He didn't even want to seek any other type of thing, but they were definitely made aware because they were waiting for us to come to see what, how we were going to sit there and follow up with that case. So the N word that, that, that happens like, you know, every other time I've been in the streets with him and people are yelling at him, you, you nigger, you know, you can whatever it's like that. And he's just smiling and waving at them. And, you know, and a lot of times, sometimes he's trying to help them and they're, and they have to use like racial profanity on him. And it's like, why this is not, you know, this, this is nothing that we've done to you or nothing that would even provoke such an incident or why a person would respond that way. But people feel like they have to lash out in that way and they feel like they have to use a racial epithet, you know, and they think that it's actually going to bother him or bother us, you know, like he's going to get a beat down or or something like that. But it's like, what does that do? That's not going to solve or do anything. It's not going to make the situation better. And they'll only feel more confident that, that they think that a word can actually shake you up or trigger you like that. Mm. You know, does it, so. we just have a, a minute before break, Antoinette, but does it, what does it do for you? Pato smiles, waves, says hello, stays calm. What, what about you? It, um, it makes me calmer. I mean, think, I think that's one of the reasons because I'm from Brooklyn, you know, my first response is, you know, F that everybody's going down <laughs> no matter what or something, but he's, it's like, and then I'm always around him. I was like, well, he wouldn't say that and he wouldn't do that. And he wouldn't respond that way. So it's like, I just kind of, you know, when you're hanging around him for so long, you're kind of like a little bit of a sidekick. And as a sidekick, it's like, well, if he's not responding that way, then I'm not going to respond that way either. And, and that's just how it is. So everybody else around him. So it's funny how we don't get all the arguments and debates on his pages like you do on mine because he just doesn't respond to people in a certain way. And they just have too much love and respect for him not to even do so, not to even challenge him because they know that, you know, here's a a stand-up kind of guy. He's a righteous dude and there's no need to even go down that road. Mm. So there's that, that love, that embodiment of love um, creating this beautiful medicine around you and your life. Okay, we're going to dig into this a little more, continue to, let's get real and raw about this whole topic for you listeners out mm-hmm. there because there's so much happening. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, so much more with Pato and Antoinette. We'll be right back. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or because I said so, or don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. No, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. 
There's a natural resource that exists everywhere on the planet which could benefit all of civilization. Yet it's been largely ignored. That resource is women. In many of the world's poorest communities, women are denied a significant role. So often their talent and potential remain untapped. At CARE, we found in country after country that empowering women is one of the fastest ways to improve conditions and help end poverty. That's why CARE is helping provide girls and women with an education, opportunity, and a voice worldwide. I am powerful. I am powerful. I am powerful. I am powerful. It's a source of power the world can no longer afford to overlook. She has the power to change her world. You have the power to help her do it. Call 1-800-521-CARE or visit care.org. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier hound chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's the drjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There's lots of ways you can do that. You can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com or goodofthewhole.org. And I'm here with Pato Benton and... Antoinette Rootstata, and I'm going to give you one website. There's so many places you can get a hold of them, but I'm going to send you to patobanton.com. It's P-A-T-O-B-A-N-T-O-N.com, and there you'll find all the links to everything else they're doing. And welcome back to the second half, Pato and Antoinette. And I heard you. Yeah, right before when I said, let's get raw and real, and, and you went, yes, yes. So I'm really, I'm looking forward to this deep dive, and yet I really appreciate how you hold this conversation and this topic here. So this morning, I saw an interview. There was a press conference in Atlanta, and I don't know, I'm not a rapper fan, but the rapper activist Killer Mike was on there with an impassioned plea. And I'm just going to read this quote because it sets us up for, for really a, a response here of what's happening on 
in our country anyway, here in the United States. It says, it is your, he said, it is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It is your duty to fortify your own house so that you may be a house of refuge in time of organization. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. It's the responsibility of us to make things better right now. It was a really powerful speech. He was Mm -hmm. angry. He was in tears. He was upset. And he point blank said, I don't want to be here. I don't want to have this conversation. He said he woke up Mm -hmm. and he wanted to burn the world down and leave. He was so angry. What do you say, Pato and Antoinette? You've been a victim of this racism. You've been... You just shared a story of injustice, and now the world is reeling with what happened to George Floyd just a week ago now. What do you say to those that are so angry right now that they want to burn the world down? I'll let you go first, Um, Pato. Well, I saw the interview as well this morning. I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but... I saw his anger, I saw his tears. And it's interesting that his father is a police officer. Yeah. And two of his cousins are also police officers. You know, um, I, I grew up in a community in England where they, where they were killing um, black kids in jail. Um, one police officer actually arrested my stepdad and when my mother asked where they were taking him the police officer punched my mother in the face and knocked out four of her teeth Um, when I was 16 I was kidnapped by the police (laughs) and taken to a police cell and beaten very brutally and they brought in a list of charges that they crimes that they couldn't solve and they actually um, forced me to sign these charges, and I did jail time for these charges. Um, so, you know, I was also involved in the Hansworth riots mm. years ago in Birmingham. I was on the front line of those riots, and I understood why people were burning and looting. It's because of the frustration, the hurt, the deep pain caused when someone in your family is killed within, in police custody and no explanation is given for why a young person loses their life when they're supposed to be in the custody of people who are supposed to be protecting us. And when you speak and speak and speak and speak to the powers that be and all they do is turn a deaf ear or a blind eye or ignore you totally, then normally burning and looting is the only thing left to bring the attention of the entire country to the scene of the crimes that are being committed by the institutions that have been put in place to target crime, not target black people. So what do I say 
to people who feel so angry that they need to burn the place down and loot. I say, I feel you. I say, I understand you. I, I say there are better ways, you know, um, than looting and burning down your own community, you know. Um, but I do understand the pain and the frustration that leads to that. And I also understand, you know, that there are also other influences that come into play when people are trying to demonstrate peacefully. There are sometimes outside elements that see this as an opportune moment for them to loot and to, to gain something by somebody else's demise, and they take full advantage of it. You know, sometimes the community has nothing to do with the looting and, and the burning, you know, um, but they, they end up always getting blamed for what's ever happening within their local community. So there's a lot of different ways to look at this and a lot of different revelations that we are now getting. We're even seeing police officers are being caught, you know, burning things and looting. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of revelations that people need to educate themselves about before pointing the finger and just calling all of these demonstrators, you know, thugs, when that is really not the case. But I'll let Antoinette share her perspective. Yeah. Thanks, Pato. That, um, I, um, that's a very good question. And it, it's funny be, that you, that you say that too, you know, because I, I really love Killer Mike too. He's very, very passionate in a lot of things that he talks about and especially for the community. And I think there's a new person coming on the rise. And I only heard about this woman just the other day. She was, she was in Atlanta. And I think this is now going to go down in history, she said, America has looted black people. America looted the Native Americans when they first came here. Looting is what you do. We learned it from you. We learned violence from you. If you want us to do better, then damn it, you do better. And that's, um, she's the co-chair mm -hmm. of the Women's March, Tamika Mallory. And then that was like, brought us back to, again, because a lot of people were saying the MLK thing as well, too. It's like, I'm when Pato and I had this discussion and he said, he was telling me he's on the front line of the hands with riots. And I'm always like, I, even though it seems like I'm the more aggressive one, I'm the kind of person that's like, I'm not going out in the streets because I know what they're, what they're doing. I know the instigators because we've seen these protests happen for decades. And yes, there's cops who are instigating. Yes. There are right wing protesters. Um, movements that are happening involving and infiltrating in the protest as well too there are provocateurs influencers and other people and they're just going to blame it on the black people who are actually peacefully protesting they're just going to label everybody as animals and thugs thugs and animals the message gets completely lost again mm -hmm. nobody's ever thinking about george floyd they're not thinking about brianna taylor they're not thinking about Ahmad Aubrey as well. They're not thinking about any of these people anymore. Now the focus has changed into something else. And then why we have to be contained and, you know, dominated, you know, as the president is using those words. But then I look back and then this is like 50, 60 years ago that Martin Luther King himself, because everybody keeps flinging us, you know, that same message, the same, 
message, yes, he's nonviolent. I'm nonviolent. But can I not understand how these people are feeling? Even he understood what they were saying. And this is from his words. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what it is that America has failed to hear, it has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. It has failed to hear that the large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delays. And as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violences and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. And that's why, and it's weird, everybody's been taking knees for years. Everybody's been peacefully protesting, you know, for, for, for a lot of black unarmed men, women, and children, and nothing has changed until somebody got a box of sneakers out from the store. When the burning and the looting started, then they decided to prosecute. Then they decided that the, the officers were now going across the country taking a knee with the protesters and putting the batons down. It didn't happen until now. So all the talk and everything else that was going on wasn't even working. You know, I don't suggest still, I'm not gonna go out there out in the streets I'm going to keep my butt right at home, you know, and hopefully try to educate more people into sharing, into getting people to understand exactly what Black Lives Matter is, exactly what racial inequality is, exactly what the solutions are as far as like uh, the Civilian Review Complaint Board or, or the other things that are going on with our country, because I think dialogue works. It reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever seen Serafina. But Serafina, I'm like, I'm both of those two girls. I'm the girl, the student who was out there throwing the rocks, you know, with all the students. And then when all the students got murdered and killed and she happened to survive all the torture and pain, she went home crying to her mother. The mother was being played by Miriam McCabe, you know, and it's like, look, mama, she's like, because she sat there and called her mom all kinds of names for not standing up and not fighting for justice and and then she realized she was totally wrong. She was like, mom, you've always stood for us because you've always been here to provide for us. And, and even though she wasn't participating on the front lines, she was participating in the back lines. And then it was still the African mothers who were still left there picking up the pieces and making sure that society actually continued. So all the different forms of process they did, you know, and there's a boycott coming up July 7th. That's kind of like my way, you know, I think the best way is like, because that actually worked back in the 60s. They didn't actually start to sign the civil rights law into movement until one, when white people got involved and were on the front lines and they got killed. When they got killed, the FBI had to come down there and say, what's going on down here? Then they had to take matters seriously. But in, before those two white guys got killed, they were not, it went on, those marches went on for years. The sit-ins, everything went on for years. Nothing had changed. 
But something else that also changed, too, was when they hit them in their pockets, when they did the bus boycotts. When people said, you know something, we're just going to ride with each other. We're not even going to ride the bus anymore. We're not going to spend our money in a system that is being continued to use to oppress us. So that's my way. I say everybody join July 7th on the boycott. Let's put our money where our mouth is because this is a way that you can financially like bring attention and awareness because all the marching in the streets, all the protesting, all the whatever, but that's their way. So I'm not going to condemn somebody else's way or tell them, don't do this, don't do that. But probably just think about better ways of getting your voice across and your voice heard, Mm. you know, because I'm definitely feeling everybody's pain and their angst and their frustration too. Antoinette, there were so many beautiful words and in what you just said, and I was literally writing notes. There were so many gorgeous words that I don't even want to go backwards. What I felt though, (laughs) when I was listening to you was that perhaps, you know, I write about how in order to heal, so like when a body gets a wound or a fracture or a disease or an infection, the very first healing response is inflammation where blood rushes to the side of the wound and it heats up, it's red, it's tender, it's swollen, but that is the very first response to our healing so i'm i i'm seeing this time yes this has been happening for centuries yes we've been protesting for decades but this feels different now how can we use this as that inflammatory inflammatory response that stage of healing this wound for good now i'm wondering if either of you have any um, insider wisdom to offer that if we stay in this inflammatory place, not that we're going to burn our cities down, but we stay in this place, rushing the attention to this topic and not letting it go for a while. What could we do to mm-hmm. make this be the final healing or, or perhaps a substantial part of our healing journey? It's a wonderful question. Okay. Well, um, one of the things that we've noticed, so while all this stuff is happening around the cities around us, our particular city, our particular county, we had to go into curfew. This is the first time they actually initialed a curfew from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And our sheriff of our county, he actually went out with the protesters and he knelt. He knelt with the protesters and he's like, I'm willing to talk with you. You know, I'm willing to us have these conversations. And I was like, that was the first time in my life where I was like, wow, that's my sheriff. You know, I'm really proud to have this guy, you know, yeah. the popo, you know, representing us. You know, I was like, I got really excited. And I said, you know, this is, this is a, a really, really good start. Because even though some people may say, oh, it's fake just because he's doing it just so he could stop the rioting and whatever. I was like, he's trying to keep the peace. And I can respect him for trying to keep the peace and I can respect him for actually reaching out and getting down on his knees along with the rest of the officers as well, too. That means he's willing to listen. And so now that we're seeing a lot more police chiefs and commissioners and departments all across the country doing it the right way, because instead of, you know, using the baton to like react with violence, they're sitting there saying, let's try a peaceful approach. And by them instigating that peaceful approach, I think other people are listening to that peaceful approach as well, too. I think they'll be able to now have a conversation and be like, now, Sheriff, 
me and you have talked. I should be able to call you when there's an issue. I should be able to have a problem that we could sit down and talk about this next time something does happen. So that way you guys are actually doing things within your own department that you are actually listening and hearing us because we don't want to go back down that road all over again. I'm seeing a lot more of my white allies starting to speak up all over Facebook. I'm like, they were so quiet and so silent for years. Every time I've been posting about police brutality, it's like crickets, 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 crickets. And then all of a sudden now they're like, I will not be silent. I don't care whom I'm, I'm offending. I don't care if nobody likes me anymore. I'm standing with Black Lives Matter. I'm standing for my brothers and sisters. And, or people are asking, what can we do to be better white allies? How can we be a part of this alliance of unity to sit there and help one another? And I was like, here you go. Here's some information, how to be a great white ally, how to be a white accomplice, how do we be brothers and sisters in arms? How do we move forward? When people are asking these questions, that means they are willing to participate and to become part of the solution instead of the part of the problem of being passive. And that's why things continued for so long as they did. But I'm seeing like an awakening now. This is really a lot different from all the other protests that have happened in the past. I think it will move better as long as we keep the conversations going. And we have to keep the conversations honest. I know people always get hurt and offended by certain words or things being said, but we wouldn't care if we weren't able to be honest with each other. That's what they had to do in South Africa with reconciliation. If we will reconcile, we have to be honest and openly admit and face our past destructiveness, you know, mm. in order to get forward. Yeah. Honest conversation. <laughs> yeah. Amen. How about you, Pato? For me, um, I think that um, we still have a long way to go. I think that um, if, if George didn't die the way he died, we wouldn't have an uproar of the magnitude that we have. Yeah. If he had resisted arrest or tried to save his life before they killed him, they would have blamed his death and his non-compliance with the law. The reason why the outroar is on the level it is is because he died without resisting. He died like a lamb to the slaughter. And I don't see this as being a wound that has the ability to heal yet. I see this more as round two of a 12-round boxing match where there's mm -hmm. a little bit of blood coming down the, the cut over the eye. They're just going to put some Vaseline on this right now. The, in a society where a white terrorist group called the Ku Klux Klan is allowed to demonstrate, march, present themselves as a charity organization, we, we are a long way away from uh -huh. the wounds of racism <laughs> in a society that tolerates racist groups. There are so many racist groups across America right now, white supremacist groups who are registered legally in the system 
until that is frowned upon and squashed, we are in for a long ride. We have mm-hmm. deep-seated racism in our hospitals, in our judicial system, in our government, in the trash collector system. So we're only addressing the police system at the moment. Mm-hmm. Are people who are employed to serve and protect us, but instead they are assassinating us. Yesterday I posted a post about the three recent black women that were killed. Two mm-hmm. of them were pregnant. One of them was harassed by a police officer in the middle of the night when she was walking home. He tased her and threw her on the floor. And when she wouldn't comply, and she told him, get off of me, I am pregnant, he pulled his gun and shot her five times. Mm-hmm. Another black woman told the officer, I'm pregnant, and he stood on her stomach until she had a miscarriage. Another black woman was in her bed, and they shot bullets into her apartment 20 mm-hmm. times. And eight bullets mm-hmm. hit her and killed her, and she works in a hospital helping COVID patients. Mm. So these are three things that I am outraged about that are getting less than 50% of attention of the George Floyd incident. We mm-hmm. are so, 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 so far from resolving this issue, but we are one step closer. And that's all that matters right now, that we use this opportunity as a way to educate each other for all the people who were turning a blind eye, who could not turn the blind eye to what they recently saw, but became outraged and outspoken. We need you. We need more of you to step forward. We need white allies to help us with a problem that is coming from our white community. And we are bringing we are bringing love, but we can't do it by ourselves as a black community. We need everybody to help us. Mm. Wow. Thank you for your words, your passion, your dedication. Thank you for for encouraging the white allies. And I know you both work in so many beautiful circles of unity within diversity where interfaith and mm-hmm. interculture come together and that's how we met is is in those circles so um it's important work and we do have a long road ahead of us but i do hope that this is that pinnacle and i hope it's not how many more rounds of boxing bato but i hear you on this mm-hmm. one because it feels like we've already done 10 rounds and the i i literally went to a baseball game that had 18 innings a professional baseball game <laughs> in san diego and it had 18 innings so you know who knows this boxing match may go you know 18 more rounds but thank mm-hmm. you for bringing this awareness to us thank you for bringing your experience your lived experience and your embodied love to this conversation i wish we had more time will you come back and do this again we would love to okay we love to thank you so much julie <laughs> yeah thank, thank you julie for all that you do as well to bring so much light mm-hmm. to this world well there's a lot of light to be brung right and um standing hand to hand shoulder to shoulder with you is an honor and a privilege and um 
yeah, sign me up. Let's let's keep the dialogue going. Let's keep Amen. the stories going. Just like you said, those three women, um, mm-hmm. we need to be outraged. We need to. I used this example earlier today when somebody asked me, and it's kind of a, a gross analogy. And I'm trying to bring this to a, a close, but I want to share this with you. But this, a woman said, you know, when you have an infection, um, you you need to open it and let let the infection out. And mm-hmm. and I said to her, my son had a really horrible post-surgical infection that they literally had to cut cut open, and literally, it stinks. It stinks, yeah. and we're in the stink. Yeah. Let's let the stories come out. Let's tolerate the stink. Let's breathe through the heat. Let's bring these mm-hmm. out and let's be real because we're not going to heal until all of this is cleansed and brought to the surface. So once again, thank you both for joining me today. I just love and adore you and your mission and, and I'm happy to bring your message out to the world. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. For continuing to apply the antiseptic of love. Oh, thank you, the antiseptic. <laughs> and you know, that brings me to those those words from that, that song that we started with, love, oh, love, sweet love is the greatest thing. Thank it's you, guys. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <laughs> 